This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right. Well, as, my, as Mrs. Pastor said, my mom, uh, Pastor and Pastor Dave are out of town. So tonight uh, you get uh, the honor and privilege, if you want to put it that way, just kidding, of you get to hear me tonight. Whether you consider that an honor or privilege is up to you. My wife would probably say not. So, just kidding. Um, uh, but before I start, let's just just pray real quick, uh, and then we'll get right into it. So, uh, Father God, in Jesus' name, we we love you, Lord God, and we are so thankful that uh, you do love us, just like we were singing tonight. Um, as I get ready to uh, deliver your precious holy word, Lord God, I just ask that you'd help me to speak only the words that you would have me to speak. Uh, help me to stay focused and on topic, and uh, for everybody to have open. Uh, acceptive, retentive hearts uh, for everything that you have for them tonight, and we ask you it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, what I want to talk to you all tonight about, uh, my uh, title, if you want to call it that, is The Most Excellent Way. Um, and uh, the reason I'm teaching this is because uh, for the past uh, two or three, four weeks, uh, pastor's been teaching us all on the gifts of the Spirit. Um and uh, I thought that's really cool. I just uh, I didn't want to stomp on what he was preaching. But uh, if if you've noticed that all of the gifts of the spirit he's been teaching on, uh, they're found in First Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, also First Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, now, for those of us who can count, you'll notice that what is mysteriously absent from those two is 13. So he's been teaching out of 12 and out of 14. But he has not been teaching a whole lot, I don't believe, out of chapter 13. And so that's what I want to talk to us about tonight, um, is chapter 13, which is the one right in between the two gifts of the Spirit chapters. And it's like that, I believe, on purpose, because um, uh, whenever you know Paul was sitting down writing the Bible, he wasn't sitting down thinking in, in chapters and verses. He wasn't thinking, okay, I'm going to speak on this, and then I'm going to do this. He was just writing as the Holy Spirit led him. And so... Uh, as he was writing on the gifts of the Spirit, he gets to the, his end of his thought in what we would call chapter 12, and, he's, and he stops and the Holy Spirit inspires him, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, it's great that we have all these gifts, but there's something that's even more important I need to remind them of, and then we'll get back to the gifts in a minute. And so I want to talk about what he calls the most excellent way, or the most important thing. Um, and I will actually start... Uh, uh, I'm just going to read this one to you. Uh, cha- it's the very last verse of chapter 12, which is where pastor has been reading us. And it says uh, in chapter 12, verse 31, it says, So yes, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And I like uh, I particularly like how this one is stated in the New, uh, New International Version, the NIV. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts or the spiritual gifts, but yet I will show you the most excellent way. And that's where I got my title tonight. So he's he's been spent that whole chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but he says, hang on a minute, I need to show you the most excellent way. And that's where we're going to pick up tonight uh, in chapter 13. And so I'm just going to take a few minutes, uh, and we're just going to go through that whole chapter um, So uh, we'll start in verse 1. I think she's got it on the screen there. It says, If I could speak 
all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, and we'll just stop there for just a second. So something uh, probably most of you know about our church, but something that really differentiates our church from other churches is that we do believe uh, in the Bible, Holy Spirit gift of speaking in tongues. We believe that, that, you know, you don't have to speak in tongues to be saved, but it does help you uh, in your Christian walk to speak in tongues. And so that's why we believe that highly at this church. But what he talks about here is uh, even though that's very important, if you don't love others, then you're no better off than a, a clanging cymbal or a loud gong. I saw a video today on the Internet of just a guy beating a huge loud gong that was super obnoxious. But it was also kind of cool because the gong was like six foot tall. So, But uh, as I was jotting this down, uh, I was thinking about, you know, that, that clanging cymbal. And as most of you know, I, my main role here at the church is I do the music. So that means that I usually get here earlier in the morning than anybody else. Uh, but it also means that my children uh, have come under the impression that they own the stage and they can do whatever they want when they get up there. Um, and you'll see uh, Brother Robert chasing them off there all the time because we're trying to get that through their heads that, no, no, just because your dad is up here playing the piano does not mean that uh, that you can go on the stage anytime you want. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my son Jeremias, uh he's almost uh, four, which means he'll be too old for the nursery because once you hit three, you can't be up there. So uh, we... We're trying to slowly get him used to being down here in service. So it was a couple Sunday nights ago. Uh, we're right in the middle of worship. Everybody's got their eyes closed, uh, worshiping the Lord. And I looked down, and Hedemias, right in the middle of service, had walked up on stage and was getting ready to stand right beside me on stage. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so I saw Julie running up and trying to be sneaky and grab him, but there's not much you can do to salvage it at that point. Um, but she did her best, and I, I give her credit for that. <laughs> but the point I was trying to get to, though, is uh, usually on Sunday mornings, I get here super early by myself. Um, not, I say by myself, but I've usually got my kids with me, too, because so, I like to get here early on Sunday mornings and pray. And usually, uh, right when I'm in the middle of praying is when one of my kids will sneak up on stage behind me. And what they like to do, they don't... Uh, uh, for some reason, of all the instruments on the stage, they've got their choice, because I'm not paying attention at that point. They always, for some reason, want to go straight to the drums, and they see the shiny cymbal, and they just want to bang on that thing for some reason. So I'm usually down here, I'm usually down here praying with my eyes closed, and then all of a sudden, bam, I hear a loud crash right behind me. And it startles me out of whatever holy spiritual moment I was having. <laughs> not that I have a whole lot of those, I'm working on that part. But I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to be serious. And then they go right for those cymbals and they interrupt that whole flow I was having. And they'll just start banging on the cymbals. And it's super obnoxious. And then I have to get up from praying or whatever and throw them off the cymbals and try to, to get, to recapture that moment I was just having. But my point is, is that, uh, if all we do is speak in tongues and don't love on each other, it says that we're that, obnoxious toddler up there banging on the drums and just making a bunch of noise and doing no good for anybody except interrupting their prayer life, I guess. <laughs> um, but too many people are like that. They think they're so spiritual because they just they pray in tongues all day, but then they, when, they, when they have to deal with other people, they're just rude and mean, uh, and they're just, they're just like that two-year-old. 
just being obnoxious, banging on the drums. So it's important that we love each other. But let's keep reading uh, through this chapter. Um, Chapter two, or sorry, verse two, it says, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and I possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So it goes right along with that uh, that verse we were just reading. We could, you know, we could all sit here and prophesy all day uh, until we're blue in the face, and we could be known as as supernatural faith giants. You know, every time we pray, the mountains move. But if we don't love others, it doesn't matter one bit. Um, one of the uh, the spiritual fathers that we look up to here at High Desert Word Center is Brother uh, Kenneth Hagen, and he is known as the uh, one of the main fathers of the modern faith movement. Um, so I, he was literally had faith that could move mountains just because uh, that's uh, he he studied he knew the word he you know I'm not going to preach on faith because we all hear that all the time here. But one thing that Brother Hagen fully understood was he understood the importance of love. He wrote uh, tons of books on faith, and we have most of them here in our bookstore, and I highly encourage you to pick those up. But he wrote tons of books on faith. He also wrote tons of books on love. Because he understood this concept that prophecy, faith, all of that, it doesn't really amount to anything if you don't have love. In fact, uh, the uh, book of Galatians tells us that our faith works by love. So if you don't have love, your faith won't even work, which is why it's so, so important. Um, But let's keep going. Uh, Verse 3, it says, If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. And I was thinking about this, you know. You could be the world's greatest philanthropist or or maybe even be a Christian that gets murdered by ISIS because, you know, you're simply for the fact that you're a Christian. But if you don't love others, it says that you don't gain anything from it. It says the only thing that you would gain is bragging rights, which I was thinking about it. Bragging rights don't do you a whole lot of good if you've just been murdered by ISIS. <laughs> and also, the, you know, the world is full of these rich philanthropists. You see them all the time uh, on the news and stuff. But ultimately, they don't gain anything from that other than temporary bragging rights if they don't love others the way the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love. So we can do all of these good, wonderful things, but love, love is greater than all of them. Love trumps it all. And so for the next uh, few minutes here, I want to take just a second and look at uh, what, how the Bible des- describes love, what the Bible way to love is. So we're going to real quick just read through uh, verses 4 through 7 for, uh, for Miss uh, Kathy back there. So uh, in verse 4 it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So that's a big mouthful, and we've pro- a lot of us have probably heard it at weddings. I know uh, uh, at my best friend's uh, wedding, he had some guys come out, and they did a cool little like uh, uh, spoken word poetic type thing where they 
they memorized this whole chapter and, and spoke it all out. It was really cool. But so we've all heard it a million times, but how often do we stop to just think about what exactly this is actually saying? And that's what I want to spend uh, the rest of our time tonight uh, talking about, is what this is actually saying. So the first thing it says uh, in verse 4, it says that love is patient. True Bible love is patient. Uh, I know like the, uh, a lot of times pastor likes to, to preach out of the King James Version, and a lot, a lot of the older versions, uh, instead of using the word patient here, they use the word long-suffering. <laughs> Which uh, literally means that. It means that love is willing to suffer a long time. <laughs> love, true Bible love, uh, has an extremely long fuse. And it puts up with tons of garbage that, by all rights, it should not have to put up with. It suffers a long time. <laughs> you know, uh, that one probably rings especially true to my wife because uh, she has to live with me every day. So, <laughs> she, see, she's up here vigorously agreeing. Just kidding. Um, but really, love has a long fuse that doesn't just, uh, you know, give up on stuff. Let's, but let's keep going. Uh, it says love is pa- not only patient, but it, it's also kind. Uh, and, and kind, of course, means nice, considerate. Um, and I, I always uh, get, get stuck on this one because uh, a lot of times you'll have people that uh, they come to church and they're, they're all nice and kind and considerate and they put on their, their happy face for the, for the people at church. But as soon as they get out the door, they're just absolute jerks to their family. Um, and to me, of everybody that you should be kind and considerate to, it should be your own family. Because they're the ones that you have to live with every day. <laughs> um, they're the ones that see you more than anything. Um, you know, and, and I think about it too. Like, of everybody, I love my wife. I, I'm sorry, I love all of you, but I love my wife more than I love any of the rest of you. Um, and so, of everybody, if I have to choose between ticking someone off, I'm going to tick one of you off before I tick my wife off. <laughs> because she's number one <laughs> to, to me, you know. And that's how we all ought to, ought to be, you know. You should put your, your family first. Now, don't, that doesn't mean that we're allowed to be jerks to everybody else. Um, but of everybody that you should be extra considerate towards, it's your own family. <laughs> there's, a, there's a verse in Hebrews that says that if we don't take care of our family and put them first, that we're no better off than an unbeliever. Um, because, uh, you know, un- most unbelievers, unless they're just total scum, at least take care of their family and at least are loving to their family. So we're, if we can at least be kind and considerate to our family, then we're no better off than an unbeliever. Uh, the King James Version says infidel, which reminds me of ISIS for some reason. They're always talking about the infidels. Sorry. No more ISIS jokes. Uh, <laughs> Um, let's keep going in verse 4 there. It says, love is not jealous. And uh, I looked up this definition of, of jealous, and uh, it kind of didn't mean entirely what I was thinking. I, I was thinking of, 
you know, uh, so, you know, some, one of those crazy guys that some, they think someone's looking at their girlfriend and they just run across the room and punch him in the face or something. Honest to goodness, uh, my pastor in Denver, this is part of his testimony, he used to be like that. He was so jealous uh, that uh, if he was sitting having dinner with his wife and, and he saw someone that he just thought might have looked crossway and glanced at his wife, he'd get up and go punch him right in the face. That's part of his testimony. He had a big issue with this ungodly, evil, wicked jealousy. And, you know, and here he is, the pastor at the church, punched someone in the face because they were looking at his wife. Um, and they're not even looking. You know, he just imagined that they were looking at his wife. And so, uh, you know, he prayed and the Lord delivered him of that. And now he's totally fine. Uh, and so that when I think of jealousy, that's what I think of. But uh, but I looked it up uh, and th- there's other definitions, of course, of jealousy and what it was talking about is feeling or showing envy of someone or their achievements and advantages. So, uh, you know, we hear, I hear, I hear all the time on, on the news about people that, you know, disadvantaged or whatever, but, and, uh, you know, some people, they do are underprivileged or disadvantaged, but if they just make that their whole life is that they focus on how disadvantaged or uh, how someone else has it better off, you know, because maybe they grew up in a richer family or something. That's that's not right because that's being jealous. That's not walking in God's love. You gotta, you know. I know life isn't fair sometimes, but if you focus on that, then you're just gonna get stuck there, and you're never gonna get out of that. Um, it also means that someone, uh, and this is where I was thinking of Pastor Bo, who's fiercely protective or vigilant of their own rights or possessions. Um, you know, you can't just be crazy, of, like like we're talking about Pastor Bo, you think someone looked at your wife or whatever, even if they did or didn't, and run across the restaurant and punch them right in the face. Obviously, that's not walking in love. Uh, and like we've been talking all night, love is the most important thing that we can all have. So you cannot be jealous and walk in true Bible love. Uh, it, it keeps on going here. It says, love is also not boastful or proud. So true Bible love, true biblical love is humble. And I put in parentheses and proud of it. But I don't know why. Because uh, I think I heard that from Pastor Dave. He said that uh, one of his Bible school teachers would always talk about how he was humble and proud of it. <laughs> kind of an oxymoron there. But uh, you can't be a a prideful person and be walking in the true love that God desires for all of us to have. Um, let's keep going here in verse 5. It says, true love is not rude. Uh, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. So rude, of course, is just, uh, it said, I looked that one up too, it says having a startling abruptness uh, or being short-fused, which is kind of the opposite of what we were just reading earlier. Uh, how about love is patient? Love has a long fuse. Love does not have a short fuse that just flies off the handle at anything. Um, if you're one of those people that flies off the handle at anything, uh, then you need to just really examine your love life and make sure that you're not like that. Because true biblical love, which is the most excellent way, has a very, very long fuse. It puts up with stuff that it shouldn't have to because it's patient, it's kind, it's considerate. Uh, love does not demand its own way. Love always puts others first. 
always puts others first. Um, you know, especially, I don't know why I keep wanting to talk about families, but I feel like a lot of times we feel like we're doing good because we're, we're nice to our co-workers or our friends or stuff, but we're not nice to our families. Or, and, you know, I, it seems like they're the easiest ones to, to be short with. <clears throat> but love always puts others first, especially your own family. You know, uh, maybe my son wants to watch, he's been watching this stupid movie called, uh, what's it called? The Good Dinosaur. And I, I, how many, you probably all had three-year-olds, most of you before, and they, for some reason, they'll get on a kick where they just want to watch the same movie over and over and over again. And I know it's starting to drive, it's, I know it's driving me nuts, and I'm sure it's driving Julie nuts, too, because I'm trying, sitting there trying to work in his movie, and, Dad, can you put it back on? Like, son, you just watched that movie five times in a row. And not that it's a bad movie, and not even that I'm paying attention, but I'm over here trying to work because I, I work from home most of the time. Uh, and so it's real easy for me to get to get short with him and, like, let's put on let's put on SportsCenter or something that I want to watch. But, you know, I wouldn't be paying attention to SportsCenter anyways because I'm working. So love puts others first. I, I love my son by putting on the good dinosaur. For the eleventh time in the day, <laughs> and that's something that that we should all do too. You know, put put your family first. It also says here that uh, love is not irritable, which is uh, having or showing a tendency to be easily annoyed or made angry. And I do know that uh, that Julie's been uh, praying on this one because our son is also at the age. Uh, where he's asking a million questions, and uh, he asks the same questions over and over again, and for some reason or another, he prefers to ask his mother. So uh, I showed her a clip on, uh, of a, an old cartoon the other day where this little kid's just in the other room, Mom, 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 and then she's finally like, What? Hi. And he just wants to tell his mom hi. <laughs> and that's what, uh, <laughs> that's basically... <laughs> What Hedemius does, at least the last couple weeks, every day, mom, mom, mom. And then she goes over there and it's something, you know, silly like that. And she's like, Hedemius, I'm trying to work. But she's working on it. I'm working at it. We're all working on not being uh, irritable or uh, easy anno- easily annoyed or, or made angry. Because that's not true love. <laughs> Let's keep going, though. Uh, Sorry, hopefully she doesn't punch me in the face later making fun of me. I did say, uh, I did, uh, quick side note, I, I did uh, tell uh, Leah Mata that I was going to uh, bring her up in the sermon. Because for some reason, she's almost like that, that extra sister that I never wanted. Because her and I are just always, her and I are always at each other for some reason in a nice way. But uh, I was over in the office helping her with the printer before church uh, and she's just egging me on, trying to get me, because she knows usually she can get me to say something stupid to her. So she keeps egging me on. And finally, I'm like, Leah, you're not going to get me tonight. I am preaching on love to, all, to everybody in the main sanctuary. I'm not going to say anything mean or rude to you tonight. And so she said, oh, well, in that case, I can be extra rude to you. I'm going to see if I can provoke you. I said, in that case, I'm bringing you up in my sermon tonight. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So think uh, when you think of someone who's mean and rude, think of, of Leah and not of my wife. 
Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> she puts, they both, I don't know why her and Julie put up with my nonsense, but they do. Anyways, uh, keep going, keep going. It says that love keeps no record of being wronged. This means that we're supposed to forgive and forget. Because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love the exact same way that God loves us. And it tells us all throughout the Bible that uh, when God forgives us, He forgets our sins and He doesn't remember them anymore. He doesn't think of them anymore. And, you know, we're supposed to love like God loves. When it says that God forgets our sins, it doesn't mean, you know, that, that God has, you know, dementia or something. And He's like, you know... There's something I don't like about her, but I just... She did something last week to tick me off, but I can't quite remember what it was. God doesn't have dementia. He doesn't... Literally can't remember what we did. When God forgets our sins, He chooses to forget our sins. He's making a choice to forget our sins, to never think about it ever again. It says He thinks of them no more. And that's how we need to be uh, when we forgive someone. Yeah, your mental mind can still remember... I remember, still remember when Julie shrunk my favorite sweater a few years ago. <laughs> that thing looked good on me too. It was my, just kidding. <laughs> but I choose to not think about that. I choose, I, I bring it up in joke now, but I, it's long been forgiven. I've gotten plenty of new sweaters. That one probably wouldn't fit me anymore anyways. Cause all the weight I've put on from all of my, all of my baby weight from all of the pregnancies that she's had. Just kidding. It's not fair though. She she like she has like gains all this weight when she's pregnant, and then like two weeks later, you can't even tell that she just had a ten pound baby. And here I am, like three kids later, and I still haven't lost any of it. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but sorry, I don't know why I said. <laughs> but we need to, when we forgive. Even though our mind may remember what that person did to us, we have to choose to forget it and not think about it. Because if you dwell, it, dwell on this unforgiveness all the time, uh, then it's just going to mess you up. Uh, Pastor Dave said before, he, I, I'm sure he didn't come up with it, but he, uh, uh, he said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person's going to die. Because the unforgiveness doesn't affect the other person, it affects you. So we need to forgive and forget. Keep no record of being wronged. Uh, let's go on to verse 6 here. It says, Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And this one, I, it seems easy to take at face value, but I wanted to dig just a little bit deeper into this, so I looked up a couple of the other translations. Um, and most translations say, uh, rather than saying, uh, injustice, they'll say uh, iniquity or, or evil. Love doesn't rejoice uh, whenever evil uh, wins out, but whenever truth does. Uh, and I think that this is where a lot of Christians, modern Christians, can get really confused. Because they think that that love is just accepting any type of behavior that someone has. And that's not what this verse is saying. According to this verse, we aren't supposed to 
to rejoice whenever people do evil or whenever people sin. Instead, we're supposed to enjoy, uh, rejoice whenever what is right. Other translations, rather than saying truth, they'll say whenever what is right wins out. Instead, we rejoice when what is right and true wins out. Um, and something that Pastor always points out to us all the time is that in, in the book of John, uh, Jesus tells us that uh, Jesus said that your word, Lord God, is truth. So what is true is the word of God. So we're supposed to rejoice when the word wins out rather than what people are doing nowadays. And, you know, they'll talk about, uh, you know, uh, you know, I see, you know, they talk about love accepting everything no matter what. But true love doesn't just blindly accept everything. True love rejoices whenever the truth Biblical truth wins out. So uh, we won't uh, talk about that too much. But part of love, part of love is sometimes gently, and maybe sometimes not so gently, pointing someone who's blatantly disobeying the Bible, pointing them in the right direction. That's part of true biblical love. Um, I just remember, uh, I've told this story before, but uh, there was a, a couple of years ago, one of my friends had fallen into some to, to some kind of public sin uh, where uh, everybody kind of knew that they had messed up. And so uh, I was I was a little bothered by it. So I went home and I was praying um, and, you know, I was getting ready to, to pray the typical prayer. Oh, Lord, help them to not feel bad because, you know, the word talks about there's condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just help them know that everything's going to be all right. Uh, and then as I was praying that prayer, uh, the Holy Spirit brought to my uh, mind uh, the verse in 2 Corinthians that uh, talks about uh, godly sorrow leading to repentance. And so I, instead, I, I stopped my prayer, you know, you know what, Lord? I actually do want them to feel bad because if you don't have that moment of feeling bad, then you can't be sorry. And the Bible says that without having godly sorrow, you can't have true repentance. You can't, uh, if you don't realize that you did something wrong, then you're never going to be sorry for it, and then you can never have true repentance. And uh, I've talked about that before, but that's what it is. Sometimes loving someone is praying that they'll feel bad about the sin that they're doing so that they can turn from their sin so they can have true godly repentance. So don't get confused on, on this verse. Love doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth, whenever biblical truth wins out. Uh, and let's look at... Uh, Verse 7 here, it says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So no matter what the situation looks like, you never give up on someone. Uh, you know, some of you maybe have had uh, children or siblings or family members who who aren't living the way they should, but no matter what, you can't give up on them because love never gives up, it says here. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful that they're going to come around, that they're going to turn around. And, uh, you know, I know I've seen it in my family where we've had some knuckleheads that eventually uh, come around. I, I'm going to run out of time here, but I, I think of, of my brother Joe. You know, he was the world's biggest knucklehead for so many years. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest, there was times that I was pretty close to giving up on it, but, you know, my parents... Never gave up on Joe. They never lost faith. They were always hopeful that he would turn around. And 
<laughs> and now he's a uh, he's you know he's doing good now. He's married. He's got a kid. He's in church. Uh, he's serving the Lord. And uh, there were just times I wondered about him. In fact, <laughs> he just had uh, he just had a, a little surgery on his heart yesterday, and so I asked. I told mom that, that that probably explains a whole lot why he was such a moron through all the years. His heart was messed up, but just kidding. Sorry, no. <laughs> Sorry. What? I, he's my little brother, and he's not here to defend himself. So, just kidding. Um, I did write. Uh, you know, the love never gives up on people. But I did write. Uh, you know, if there's someone that punches you in the face every single time you see them then you might have to work on loving someone from the distance. Because, you know, you don't want to put yourself where you, you get punched in the face every single time you go around. But in your true heart, you never give up on those people. Uh, sorry. Uh, let's keep going here, just getting, getting a little close on time. It says, uh, love uh, endures through every circumstance. And I was thinking about this. Uh, remember the old wedding vows. A lot of times people write their own vows uh, nowadays, and I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing. But uh, the old wedding vow said it was for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. No matter what circumstance comes your way, you still have to love that person. I know, you know, with my dad uh, going through all of he went through last year, I'm sure there were times that my mom probably had better things to do. <laughs> but she endured through every circumstance. And now uh, my dad's back better than ever. I mean, he uh, he let me fill in for him tonight, but he's been on fire preaching up here lately, preaching as good as I've ever seen him in his whole life. And that's because uh, a big part of that is because my mom endured with him through that entire circumstance. Uh, so we've got to endure through that and not give up. Uh, we'll just rush through these last couple of verses here. I only got a couple of minutes. Sorry, I keep looking at the clock. Um, it says, uh, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages or speaking in tongues and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Uh, I like what this one says um, in, in the New King James Version. It says, love never fails. So no matter what, love never fails. It says pro- there, where there's prophecies, they'll fail. Where there's tongues, they'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. But love never fails. So eventually... We all move on to, to heaven and we don't need prophecies or tongue or whatever when we're in heaven. But love lasts forever. Love never fails. Uh, it says in verse 9, it says, now our, knowledge, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. So, uh, um, you know, the older we get, the more we realize how much we don't really know. I know that's true in my life. I'm sure it's true in all yours. Um, and God does know everything, but he doesn't reveal everything to us at once. Uh, all throughout the Bible, it, it talks about the Lord directing our steps, guiding our steps. He tells us one thing at a time. It never says that he just gives us the whole roadmap, the whole plan. It says he, uh, you know, he directs our steps. You know, we won't talk too much about that. So he just leads us one step at a time. But verse 10, it says, when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless because when we're in heaven... You know, at that point, you do have the whole roadmap. You know everything. It says your knowledge is complete up there. Um, verse 11, it says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Verse 12, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. 
but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then, talking about when we get to heaven, I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Uh, and then he kind of wraps it up here, verse 13. He says, you know, once these prophecies, the tongues, everything goes away, he says, there's three things, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. So even when we're no longer prophesying, when we're no longer speaking in tongues, when all that stuff doesn't matter, there will still be three things that last forever. That's faith, hope, and love. But it says here that the greatest of all of these is love. That's the most important thing. So, of all of the gifts of the Spirit, only these three will remain when we get to heaven. The greatest, the greatest of all is love. Um, and so that I'm, that's pretty much all I've had. And we've discussed uh, the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. Um, and it, like I was telling you earlier, uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit are in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And so when Paul was writing this, he's, he's telling us how important the gifts are. And he pauses for a minute to tell us, hey, you know, it does, all that stuff's important, but we need to make sure that we're loving while we do all of this. And so the last scripture I want to read to you is uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1, which will hopefully lead back into where Pastor will be picking us back up last week. It says, uh, let love be your highest goal. So yes, love is our highest goal, but it says, but you should also desire the special abilities or gifts that the Spirit has. So, once we're walking in love, we need to get back and focus on the gifts of the Spirit, which is where Pastor is going to pick up next week. So, uh, if you want, we can all stand up. I think that's uh, all I have for tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.